that's that. All right, so let's get into Matthew 6. We have been going through the book of Matthew, and in the, we've been in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, just an amazing and hard sermon from Jesus. And we have entered into a section, just started a few weeks ago, talking where he addresses hypocrisy, right? And he gives three examples of areas that he has observed that people tend to be very hypocritical, right? And that was prayer and giving and fasting, okay? He's saying when you give, don't give like in this way that's trying to impress everybody with your great generosity, all right? Give out of a generous heart, all right? That's don't be hypocritical in the way you give. And he says when you pray, don't, don't pray in front of people with this like kind of ostentatious, impressive way of praying as though God really needs all your words, to do anything, and he really needs all this information from you. God already knows what you need. The only reason you would pray that way is to impress your neighbor, right? Stop doing that, right? And then he gives us the Lord's Prayer as a positive example, right? And then he brings up fasting, which is this morning. And I've been taking a, I'm going to take a little detour on fasting, because he only mentions fasting briefly. But I, I think we don't really understand fasting. Or maybe it was just me, and this is all just for me, right? <laughs> But I used to fast all the time. Like, I had a group of friends in college, and we would fast once a week for like a day, one, one or two days, just depending on what we decided. And I thought, like, if, I, when I, if you fast, it's, you're going to have this amazing, like, supernatural spiritual experience. Like, you're going to meet your, you're going to have visions, and you're going to meet your spirit animal, and... <laughs> And you'll see your future as you stare into the campfire flames, right? It is going to be some kind of experience like that. But every time I would fast, I found that it just, I had the opposite experience. That I was grumpy, I was cranky, it brought out the worst in me. It seemed like the opposite of what I was intending to happen was happening. And, but I did it really just because all my friends, who now I know, I'm pretty convinced now we were all faking it to each other. Because they'll be like, well, man, God really met me this week. You know, as I was not eating, it was like I didn't eat, and God filled up that place in me, you know, that I, I created emptiness in my stomach so that he could fill me with his spirit. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. And really, I was like, I just yelled at people for two days. Um, and so I don't know if that's been your experience, but as soon as that kind of group kind of pressure was gone, I, I now I'm quit fasting. And, and so I'm just confessing to you, it was a big, you know, hollow place of understanding for me. And I think once you start reading, actually reading the Bible, that's a crazy idea. Uh, and at looking like, where's fasting in the Bible? And what is it? Why do they fast? And what are they fasting for? And what does Jesus say about it? Then it becomes very clear. It's actually not that confusing. It's just that we've added a bunch of weird kind of legalistic, super spiritual things to it that end up making it something it's not supposed to be, which ultimately is discouraging because your experience doesn't match up with what everybody's telling you it should be, right? So that's what I want to do this morning. I just want to look at what the Bible says and then say, oh, that's more interesting. <laughs> I can do that, and then we're going to do it as a church, okay, um, once you're kind of armed with some understanding about it. So what is fasting? We should define it first, right? Because intermittent fasting has become a popular weight loss program. I don't know if you've seen the ads. I get them all the time. 
And, and, and this is not that, okay? Uh, I'm making no comment about whether or not that's a good way to lose weight or not. I don't care, all right? Um, that's not that. Fasting is, quite simply, is just not eating food for a set period of time as an expression of devotion to God, okay? And we'll obviously define that more as we go. But it's not eating food, not to lose weight, or some other reason, it's as an expression of devotion to God. Um, and I'll talk about alternatives to that later. If you've got health issues, we can, we can talk about that because there's a lot of room for that. Um, but I think you need to understand what real, I shouldn't call it real fasting, but what b biblical definition of fasting is before you start talking alternatives, or else you do the old, how can I make this easier thing, right? <laughs> Instead of finding an alternative that is just as terrible as not eating, right? So that's where we're headed. All right, so let's look at Matthew 6, kind of our starting point, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says this, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so... He's saying he's observing that these hypocrites are walking when they fast, they they disfigure their faces, meaning they're like, oh, they're like putting on this like show of how hungry and weak they are in order to be more impressive to everybody in the same way that, you know, you can do that with prayer and with giving. And he says, instead, the point here is not that you must anoint your head and wash your face. Okay, it's not like a requirement for fasting so much as, like, take a bath, like, <laughs> shower, like, don't look so gloomy, like, don't put on a show. If you're going to put on a show, put on a show that it's not as hard as it is instead of the opposite, okay? He's saying don't act that way, don't be that kind of person um, that wants everybody to kind of feel sorry for them because they're so holy, right? So you've been following along in this section. The format of this statement is very familiar to you by now. Basically, don't fast in a way that seeks to impress others. That's Jesus' point. But notice that Jesus begins in verse 16 by saying, and when you fast. He is assuming that everybody is fasting. He says it twice. He says, and when you fast. And he does the same thing with prayer. He says, and when you pray, don't pray like this, pray like this. And when you give alms to the poor, give this way, not this way, right? He's assuming that of us, and I don't know about you, but I think that's, at least in my life, that's, that's kind of a false assumption, because I'm not fasting, okay? So we should start there, right, with the actual doing it part, and then worry about if we're being hypocritical or not, okay? So Jesus assumes they're fasting, just like he assumes prayer, Okay? Of course, Jesus himself fasted in the desert after his baptism. So if you're, you know, some people will say, Jesus never commanded us to fast, so we don't have to. There's a verse that gets confused, which I'm going to go over in just a second. Um, but Jesus himself fasted, okay, for a long time. <laughs> I'm not calling us to do a 30-day fast, all right? You can't. My brother did that once. I watched him do it from a distance as I ate sandwiches, all right? Um, 
That's a hard thing. It's possible, but it's hard. All right? I'm not calling us to do that, Jesus, but Jesus did do that. Um, another example in Acts 13, we see them pray and fast before sending out Paul and Barnabas. Also, similarly, in Acts 14, when they commissioned elders, they fasted before they laid hands on them and made them elders in the church. Fasting in the Old Testament. This is where I think you get a lot of examples that you can go back and read. I encourage you to do that. If you read through all the places in the Old Testament where fasting is mentioned, you see that it's always done as an expression of devotion to God. Very much like worship. There's three ways. I actually think I have four here. I probably said three and then I found one more. But in response to mourning a death, it's a holy expression of pain and loss to God. I think this is, we should pause here for a second. Because I have noticed as a pastor that we really are bad in this country at mourning. When someone dies or there's a big loss, we don't know how to do it. It's like we're afraid of it. And so we don't, like the word funeral is like, no, we don't want to call it a funeral. That sounds too negative. We'll call it a celebration of life. And I think that's great as long as you understand celebrating a life includes weeping over the loss of that life. Like, don't you want people to cry at your funeral? I mean, I don't want too much. We, like, I want people to miss me. I want there to be some, like, there should be somebody, even if in the back corner, who's like, wow, I'm sort of sad that he's gone. And there's, there's a demonstration of that sadness on their face, right? That, it's, that, that people aren't cheering and clapping and dancing because I'm gone, right? That's part of, and that's not bad. It's not wrong. And so we see examples in the Old Testament where, where there's a, a death, and one of the good, holy responses to that death is to fast. And to say, I'm so sad. And this is, I'm expressing my sadness over this death by fasting. Okay, it's an expression of that. And I think it's a good and holy and right thing to do. Okay, so don't, we got to get better at this as a culture. We're not taught this. We don't have a lot of good examples of it. But, like, I want my funeral to be like a 50-50 mixture of people laughing and talking about how great I am or was. And I want the other half to be people weeping because they don't know how they're going to go on. What are we going to do if Ben is not here? Right? I'm being a little silly. But let's be honest. Isn't that kind of what, if you were to be able to watch your own funeral and just kind of be there, a fly on the wall, that's kind of what you'd want to see. You wouldn't want to see people going, no big deal. Isn't this over? Right? That's not what you want. All right? So, so you can see this in the Old Testament. They were really good at this. Uh, the Jewish people were great at mourning, and that's part of it. Okay? Also, as an act of contrition and repentance, um, a plea to, re- to God to relent from his judgment against them. You would see this often when a prophet would rebuke them and say, Hey, you, you, you people, you've forgotten God. You've walked away. You're worshiping other idols. What's wrong with you? If you don't stop it, God is going to let the Babylonians or whoever is going to come, and they are going to crush you, right, if you don't repent. And they would go, Oh, sometimes. They would go, oh, we should repent. And how did they do it? How did they express that to God? They would fast. Okay, So it's a kind of um, accompaniment to a prayer of repentance. It's a demonstration of, wow, I'm really a sinner. I've really blown it. I've really messed up. How can I express that 
beyond just words. And one of the expressions we're given by God to express our repentance is fasting, right? Another thing we're not really great at doing. Also, as an expression of longing for the fulfillment of a promise, usually accompanied with prayer. One day, Israel will be great again, right? The Messiah is going to come. Israel will be restored to like the times of David. You're in exile now. It's hard now. You're in famine now. You're being attacked and oppressed now. But I have promised I'm going to rescue you. And they would fast, saying, God, would you do that? Do the thing you promised. We're in the in-between. We're in between the promise and the fulfillment. It's really hard. It's really dry. It's really difficult. But we're believing you. We're trusting you. We're asking you, would you do it now? Would you come? Right? Would you come and do the thing you promised? It's another reason to fast. And then lastly, as an act of submission to God over a decision, usually accompanied with prayer, we see that, you know, if you're making a big decision, I think it's why the, the apostles uh, fasted in Acts 13 and 14. When they were sending out Paul and Barnabas, when they were making elders, they were like, wait a minute, what if we get this wrong? What if... This is a big decision, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I want to express my submission. I want to tell my, do something to instruct myself to be submitted to God and his sovereign will over my life. And I also want to express that to God, say, hey, God, I'm submitted to you. I'm not going to eat. As a, as a demonstration of that to you, I'm not going to eat, right? Okay, so fasting itself is not a prayer. But it's always closely associated with it. It intensifies our prayer, adding weight and sincerity to it. It's what you do when words aren't enough. When it feels like, you know what, the seriousness or the weight or the importance of this moment is too great to just put words to it. I want to do something more than that. And fasting is the answer to that question. It gives physical expression to our prayer, whether it would be grief or repentance for sin or longing for what's to come, or simple submission to the will of God, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to fast on the Day of Atonement. That's a great example as part of their repentance for, for sin. In 2 Samuel, David repents with fasting. He doesn't just say, sorry, God, and move on. He fasts as part of his repentance. In, jo in Jonah 3, the Ninevites repent when Jonah goes and sort of against his own will prophesies to them and says you're so wicked you Ninevites God's going to just wipe you out if, and they repent and one of the ways they repent is they fast which upsets Jonah because he didn't want them to repent because he wants them to be wiped out in Ezra 8 a fast is declared as an act of devotion to God from the people and prayer for protection and blessing and then in Isaiah 58 which is like could be a whole other sermon which I've done before when we went through the book of Isaiah or God rebukes them for fasting hypocritically. Very similar to how Jesus rebukes them here. As they were like treating their neighbors like dirt, oppressing the poor, um, treating employees like, you know, terribly, ripping off their employees, treating the poor badly, and then they would fast as though that's all God wanted. <laughs> like if we just fast, if we just do some kind of religious thing, that's, that's, the legalistic approach to fasting, which is if I fast, then God will just bless me, even though, and then I won't have to do the truly hard stuff. And what God says to them is the fast I want from you is serving the poor, 
being humble, loving one another, those things, all right? Okay, so let's go back to Jesus on fasting, because I think this is probably the most significant text in the Bible that would explain what fasting is from Jesus, which is in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 14 to 17. Here's what it says. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is the new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So all that metaphor about wineskins is Jesus' way of telling John, this is John the Baptist, John's disciples, that this is a new paradigm, okay? They're in a new, this is him coming is a new paradigm, and we don't just do things the old way when the new thing comes, okay? And part of that is Jesus is the bridegroom, right? You recognize the, he's making a metaphor. Jesus is the bridegroom, that's how he, Jesus describes himself. And remember how marriage and betrothal worked in that culture, is the bridegroom would become betrothed to the woman, and then they were, it was an official legal thing, and then he would leave and go make a home for her, either build a new home or build an addition on to the family home or whatever, and then however long that took, it might be a year, he would then, when it was ready, he would come back and pick her up, and it would be this big party, this big like procession, noisy partying procession would come and pick her up, and she would act surprised even though she, somebody had told her they were coming, obviously. And then he would bring her to the new home, okay? And Jesus says, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm, I came, we got betrothed. Who's the, who's the bride? That's the church, it's us and them. And then I'm going to leave. That's his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And then I'm going to come back and pick you up. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house, okay, in heaven. And so Jesus is saying, like, it makes no sense to fast when I'm sitting here with them. There's no reason. And once you can understand that, once you understand what the Old Testament says about why you fast, mourning, repentance, submission to him, like I have this big decision, and, and waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things, right? So you're sitting here, it's like the, 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 the bride fasting because her bridegroom is not present when he's actually present. That would make no sense. But, he says, the bridegroom is going to be taken away from them, and at that point they will fast. And that's where we are right now. Okay? Jesus is not physically present with us. He's present by his spirit, but he's not physically present here. And that's, if we just look around at the world, <laughs> there's an ache, isn't there? We are living between the promise and the fulfillment. We are in exile. That's Peter's point in 1 Peter. We're exiles. We live like exiles, and there is a mourning, like when people die, the pain that you feel is appropriate, because you, death is not supposed to be that way, and you feel the pain, not just of the loss of that person, but you feel the pain of having to wait for the fulfillment 
of the promise of one day you will see them again. If they're in Christ, you'll see them again, right? And you're waiting for that. And so part of the pain is, is not just the loss of the person, it's waiting for Jesus to come back. And when we see sin and death and destruction and division and violence and pestilence in the world, as we see right now, part of the pain of that is, Jesus, would you come back? I just want this done. I want all of it done. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm tired of worrying about it. I'm tired of it being a factor in my decision-making at all. I just want it done. Would you come back? That's the answer. And that ache you feel is expressed in fasting, and that's what Jesus is pointing out. The bridegroom is Jesus, and he has been taken away from us by his own will, and we're not left alone. We have the Holy Spirit, but it will be great to see the full expression of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven right now. All the things that fasting means are of no use when Jesus is present, but Jesus says the day would come when the groom would be taken from them, and then fasting would make sense again, which is where we are now. So we're longing for the not yet. We're longing for the things that he's promised. I think we tend to think of fasting the wrong way, or maybe it's just me. I don't think it is. Fasting is not a mechanical lever that we can pull to really impress God, though it does please him. It doesn't force him to do something for us. You're like, I really need a new whatever. <laughs> or a better whatever. Better spouse, better children, better job, whatever it is. And you think, if I fast, that'll kind of make God do something. But God has already done what he's going to do, right? It's not, that's a legalistic, pharisaical way of looking at fasting. Fasting is not a way to manufacture a spiritual experience within us apart from the sovereign work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit can bring about revival in you anytime, okay? Fasting is not a way to curb your addictions to food or social media or coffee or whatever else. Now, it's not wrong. It's probably a good idea to, you know, take a break from Facebook and whatever else, you know, if you recognize maybe I'm a little addicted to coffee or whatever it is and take a break from that. That's not Christian fasting. It's not wrong, but it's not the point of these scriptures, all right? Um, it's not the intention of Christian fasting. Fasting is most certainly not a way to impress your friends or boost your self-righteousness. That's exactly what Jesus is addressing in chapter 6. It's like, don't be one of those people. Fasting is not a way to atone for your sin, though it sure does expose your sinfulness, doesn't it? Just take away your coping mechanisms. And what do you find? We have, we have a word for it. We call it hangry. I think, no, that's just you. <laughs> that's just you. Right? That's you on low blood sugar. Right? That's, that's you exposed. The grumpy, cranky, kind of depressed, um, where all you can think about is a cheeseburger. You go, whoa, what, what's going on with me? <laughs> well, you're just exposing your sinfulness that's all that's happening, and that's part of the benefit. Fasting is a self-discipline that we impose on ourselves to command our souls to be more devoted to God. It's a profound act of worship and a longing plea for the not-yets of the kingdom of God to be fully realized. It's a cry of Maranatha, Lord Jesus, from our empty bellies. 
come, Lord Jesus. I mean, every time I look at the news, that's the thing that comes out of my heart is, oh, would you just, just come, please? Today, like right now, before the day's over, can we just, I'm tapping out. I want to tap out, right? Things are too complicated. There's too many battles to fight. Everybody's telling you you got to worry about this and worry about that and fight this battle and take a stand for this and take a stand for that. And If you don't take a stand and you don't say this, then you're not whatever. You're part of the problem. Well, I can't say something about everything. And why do I need to have an opinion about everything? I don't, you know, can I just not care about one thing? Can we just have one serious issue that I don't care about? It's ridiculous. Maybe I'm the only one. Keep saying that this morning. I don't think I am. Fasting is like this, and, and it's a way to express that thing. Or when you look at your own life and you see, man, I, I just, I keep butting up against this, this sin that just grabs a hold of me by the throat and puts me on the ground. It's like it feels like whenever it wants to. And it just beats me and beats me, and then it leaves me alone for a while, and I start to kind of walk upright again and feel a little confident like I'm, maybe I'm actually growing in God right now. And then wham, by the throat, onto the ground again. I'm sick of it. It's the same thing. God, would you come and change this thing in me? Or maybe you have things that God's put in your heart to do, gifts and callings. Maybe your marriage is broken, and you just want to see God come and rescue it. Maybe your kids are not walking with God, and you just want to see God. And there's this ache, and you like, come, Lord Jesus, to them, right? There's all these things that we ache for, that we have been promised in Christ, but we have not yet seen. And that's where we fast, because sometimes words just aren't enough. They don't quite get around the thing that you're trying to say to God, and we fast to express that. So fasting is not for the spiritually strong. It's for the spiritually weak. It's not for the heroes to do. It's for the people who know they're not the hero and are broken by the brokenness in them and by the brokenness in the world. That's who fasting is for. It isn't for the content it's for the desperate. It isn't for those that think they have it together. It's for those that know that they really don't. That's who fasting is for. I think really that's what Jesus is poking at when he's talking to the Pharisees and he tells them, stop fasting like that. Fasting is not for people like you. And when you recognize that you are broken and there's nothing special or heroic about you, apart from Christ, then suddenly fasting is going to make sense to you. So your elder team has decided to do a three-day fast starting tomorrow morning. Um, so we're not going to eat food. Solid food, we'll be drinking water. Um, we understand that some of us cannot fast food for medical reasons, and that's fine, okay? But here's my challenge to you, right? Find a way to fast that is just, like, imagine, before you decide, imagine what, it, what you were like and how hard it is not to eat for, say, three days. Right, where you have to walk through your kitchen for three days not eating solid food and what that, how hard that would be, all right? And then find something else to fast or some way to fast that's that hard. 
Okay, whatever other things in your life that you really just crave like that, that's, that's the target, okay? Don't just kind of go, well, I can't do that, so I'll do something like, you know, I'm going to fast Facebook, which I already hate, right? Or whatever it is, okay? Um, I don't want to get too specific about that because, I mean, I don't want you to be feel judged in whatever you fast, okay? That's between you and God. You don't have to, there's going to be no announcement made um, about what you're fasting, and, and then we can have a rank, you know, of who's fasting the hardest. Right? That's, that's not what we're doing, okay? It's between you and God. Um, I think you can, dis- if you want to discuss it with somebody, that's, that's fine, okay? Don't get weird about it. That's fine. Just make sure you guard your heart around kind of this comparative who's more holy, who's more sanctified or sanctimonious depending on your perspective and the way you're fasting okay if you want to discuss it with somebody and say hey uh, we, um, this is what I'm thinking about doing do you think that's good and that's fine okay don't don't feel like you can't do that um, but nobody's going to judge you and this is really between you and God and what God wants you to do okay um, the temptation right is to avoid doing something hard by doing something easier and just calling it the same thing that's what you don't want to do all right um, so what we're going to do is, we're, you know, if you want to fast all week, extend your fast longer you can. Um, the only reason we're not fasting for the whole week is I don't, I don't think you can. So um, <laughs> just being straight with you, all right? Jamie probably can. Uh, the rest of us can't. Um, so, so that's what we're going to do. And then Wednesday night at 730, we'll come here, and we're going to – yeah, we can do it. We, we're in charge. We can do whatever we want. Heather says 7 is a better time, so we'll do 7. I just default to 7.30 all the time. Um, So Wednesday night at 7, that's been a sudden rapid change for all of you (laughs) online. Um, 7 o'clock, not 7.30. And we're going to worship together and then just pray. Pray for all sorts of things, and then we'll be out of here, okay? Because I want to couple fasting and prayer together because they really go together, okay? Um, I don't think there is an example that I can think of in Scripture where they're not together right so that's what we want to do um so fast whatever you want um we're starting first thing in the morning um and then we'll go till wednesday all right okay so why don't we stand up together and if you're present and let's pray god all of us have different things that we are waiting on you for things we want to overcome in our own selves but also things that we need you to do in our life and also things that we need you to do in our world God we are burdened by all of it and it's all really serious and so God even now as we before we even begin fasting we want to bring all those things to you and we want to just ask you over all of it Maranatha, Lord Jesus. God, we beseech you, would you just come? Would you return? That the bridegroom would return for her bride and that the kingdom of God would be on earth as it is in heaven. God, every injustice would be made right. God, that the poor and lowly would be lifted and the proud would be brought low. God, that you would bring your kingdom 
into our lives, into every situation that we're praying over. And God, I pray over this week that there would be real breakthrough for us in all of these areas. God, that as we fast and we offer that worship up to you, um, we express our mourning, we express our brokenness, we express our devotion to you, God, that it would do a work in our own hearts. God, that we would be humbled. God, that we would be deep, more deeply submitted to you. God, that there would be an increase in trust in you. And God, that you would speak to your people and intervene in these situations. God, we ask this beginning right now before we do anything. Because you don't need our fast. You don't need our words to know what we need. And so, God, we ask you to come and help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See you next week.